So you're eating lunch at your favorite barbecue joint with a friend of yours, and uh, you order the two-meat plate because, you know, who can choose between ribs and brisket? you got to get them both. Uh, so you're sitting down, enjoying your meal, and then all of a sudden, a piece of spare rib gets caught in your throat. And you start choking, uh, and you panic because you know that you can't get any air uh, into your lungs. And so your friend across from you snaps into action. He recognizes what's happening, uh, comes around you, pulls you up from out of your chair, wraps his arms around from behind, and, and thrusts one time, two times, three times, and finally dislodges that meat. It comes flying out of your mouth, and suddenly you're able to breathe again. Uh, praise the Lord. Well, your friend has saved you using something called the Heimlich Maneuver. Uh, the Heimlich Maneuver was developed by a thoracic surgeon by the name of Henry Heimlich in June of 1974. Before the Heimlich Maneuver, they actually used instruments uh, to go in and try and pull this thing out. But when you're sitting at 1050 or whatever, uh, they don't have those barbecue instruments there to remove uh, stuck spare ribs from your throat. So thank God for Henry Heimlich, because he uh, managed to be somebody who saved lives. And now you all are familiar with the Heimlich Maneuver. You would know what to do, more than likely, if somebody across from you started choking on the meat that they were eating. So after your friend saved your life, uh, what is the first thing that you would do? Well, I hope the first thing you would do after you got your breath back would be to say thank you to your friend, right? It's a very nice thing that he did for you. He just saved your life. But let's remember that saying thank you is not a condition of saving your life. It's just the thing that you would naturally do in response to him saving your life. So I want you to think about that as today we're taking a break from our study in the book of Galatians uh, to talk about baptism. Why, you ask? Why today of all days? Well, Hal in our church, who uh, I don't see here today, I don't think he's here today. Oh, he is back there. Hal is uh, back there, and he is he's going to be baptized. And, uh, you know, Hal has recently come to faith, and uh, we're just so excited about Hal being part of our uh, church fellowship and membership, and the fact that he wants to be baptized is, is just an awesome testimony. So we're going to do a baptism for Hal in July, and since uh, he's going to be baptized. I figured I'd open, up, open it up to the whole church if there's anybody here who has not been baptized as an adult believer uh, who might like to be baptized. So today we're going to talk about what baptism does and what baptism doesn't do, okay? So just let me give you the bottom line right up front. Baptism does not save. We are not saved by our baptism. It doesn't save us from the penalty of our sins. As we've been talking about in Galatians for the past several weeks, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not by any works that we do that can be attributed to our account. Jesus Christ alone saves. But, uh, as we've talked about, baptism is not necessary for salvation, but just like saying thank you to your friend who saved your life with the Heimlich Maneuver, uh, baptism is a proper response to Jesus saving you and me from the penalty of our sins. So, Today we're going to just spend a few minutes talking about uh, how we're saved and then spend the rest of our time talking about the reasons why we ought to be baptized uh, and why believers ought to be baptized. So notice the key word there, believers ought to be baptized, right? Many of us uh, may have been baptized as infants. I was baptized as an infant. But the biblical pattern is belief and then baptism. Belief and then baptism. So if you haven't been baptized as a believer you should be. And our text today that we're going to be starting from is Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. We're going to start there. We're going to be bouncing around quite a bit. So let's read Acts chapter 2, 
verses 37 to 41, uh, and then we'll go from there. Uh, Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we to do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and all who are far away, as many as the Lord will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So let's just put this passage in a little bit of context before we dive into it. Uh, These verses follow Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Uh, This we find in Acts chapter 2, where all the believers gathered together and there was this noise that rushed through uh, the place uh, like a a rushing wind, and and it filled the whole house. Tongues of fire rested on each person's shoulder and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately they began to speak in speech that seemed like natural speech but was actually supernatural speech. They spoke in languages that that were not their own and people heard them in those languages. Most people were amazed by this but the unbelievers, well, they scoffed, uh, accusing them of being drunk. Then Peter stands up and he says, these men are not drunk. And he preached a sermon from the prophet Joel, uh, reminding them of what Joel said uh, in his prophecy. In the last days, Joel said, God would pour out his spirit on mankind. And your sons and your daughters uh, will prophesy. They will see visions and your old man, uh, men will have dreams. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter says to them, after, after uh, reading from Joel, uh, he says, This Jesus, the one that you crucified, uh, he is the Lord. And though you nailed him to a cross, uh, death could not hold him. And so by rising from the dead, uh, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of David in Psalm 16, uh, where David said uh, that you will not abandon my soul to Haiti, nor will you allow my Holy One to see decay. And so Peter declared with power that that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the promised one, uh, the one who God resurrected from the dead. And Peter's words pierced them to the heart. And so that's why they asked in in verse 37, uh, brothers, what shall we do? And so Peter says in verse 38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So I want to say first that we are saved by grace and not by baptism. I've already said that, but I want us to be clear on that because we need to do a little work in verse 38 because because verse 38 makes it sound a little bit like you need to be baptized to receive the Holy Spirit and to have your sins forgiven. So how do we explain this verse? Uh, Baptism is not a condition of salvation, not a condition of receiving the Holy Spirit, but something that we all should do after we have been saved and received the Holy Spirit. So to get there, we're going to do a little bit of a grammar lesson this morning uh, in Greek grammar, uh, because if we're going to understand this verse, we have to understand a little bit about how the grammar works. Because, And I chose this verse specifically because this is a verse that people point to to argue that baptism is necessary for salvation. So let's talk about this. Uh, we 
in, in America uh, who speak the English language, we do not have a second person plural. You know that, right, in our language. We don't have that. But this just as proof that Texas is more advanced than other states in the Union, we've <laughs> developed one, right? And it's y'all. I heard somebody say it out there. It's y'all. And if you really want to get into it, it's all y'all, right? So we have that in Texas because we are an advanced society. Uh, other states long to be like us. Uh, so we have this second person plural, and we use it here regularly. But in English, in proper English, right, we don't typically uh, write you all. But in Greek, they didn't have, they do have uh, second person plural. And in Greek, they, you can make second person plurals out of nouns, pronouns, and verbs. And subjects and verbs always have to agree, right? Just that's any third grade grammar lesson, your subjects and verbs have to agree. And so do singular nouns, pronouns, and singular verbs. They all have to agree. They go together. So in verse 38, uh, look at it up on the screen. Uh, the verb repent is plural, and so is the pronoun your in the clause, so that your sins may be forgiven. So the verb repent goes with the verb for the forgiveness of sins. So the sentence could read, y'all repent so that y'all sins may be forgiven. Okay, plurals going with plurals. Uh, and then, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit is also plural. So, the sentence reads, y'all repent so that y'all sins may be forgiven, and y'all will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, you with me so far? Now, what's different is the command, be baptized, is singular, which separates it from the rest of the sentence. It doesn't go with the plurals that we've seen so far. So, the entire sentence reads like this. This is Acts 2.38. TV, the Texas version. <laughs> y'all repent for the forgiveness of, your, of y'all's sins, and y'all will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that is how the verse should be interpreted if we had a second person plural in English. Uh, and this is consistent with Peter's other teaching in Acts on the forgiveness of sins without baptism. So, for example, uh, if we looked at Acts chapter 5, verse 31, it says, He is the one in whom uh, God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And Acts chapter 10, verse 43, Peter said, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So no mention of baptism there. It's just belief that uh, grants forgiveness of sins. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. So we just continue to see that forgiveness is granted on the basis of faith alone. There is no requirement for baptism. Now, some churches will preach that baptism is necessary for salvation, and I think what's happening is that they misunderstand what's going on in, in Acts chapter 2.38, which is why I just gave that exposition of the verse uh, to you, and they build a view based on it, and that's why we always want to look to what else the Bible says about baptism. We correlate what we're reading in one verse with other verses that speak to that same subject, and so a Bible student could look at many other New Testament passages uh, to find that salvation is by faith faith alone in Jesus Christ and that baptism does not play a role in salvation. So the most famous verse in the Bible that you all could uh, recite by memory, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
John 3.36, the one who believes in him, uh, in the Son, has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Okay, we could go now to Paul. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And we could also look at the passage we just looked at last week. We were in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, and we read, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So there's nothing about baptism in these verses. It's all about faith in Jesus. That's what saves. Now, I do want to clear up something. Uh, you know, we've been reciting the Nicene Creed here uh, over uh, on the first Sunday of the month for the past several months, and we're going to continue that in the future. Uh, this Nicene Creed is from the fourth century, and it's, it's a creed that cleared up some theological disputes that were ongoing and established Christian orthodoxy about the person of God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and their deity and uh, other theological matters. And, and there's one line in there that seems to indicate uh, that baptism is necessary for salvation. And here's the line. It says, And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, when we're saved, God gives us his Holy Spirit. Uh, that's sometimes called the baptism of the Spirit. And so what this verse is talking about here in the Nicene Creed is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we receive after we are saved. This is not talking about water baptism. Uh, so that's not what the Nicene Creed is about. So just talking about baptism of the Spirit. So baptism is not part of saving faith. Uh, in fact, Peter's own words in the same passage we started at, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 41, if we look at verse 41, says, uh, those who had received his word were baptized. So we see that the biblical pattern is belief, then baptism. That's the sequence, belief, then baptism. It's not part of the salvation uh, process. Well, what about repentance? Let's say a word about repentance before we talk more in depth about baptism. Is repentance part of salvation? It is a part of salvation. The word repent is from the Greek word metanoia, which means, as Mike said, uh, to change your mind, to turn away from, to turn toward. Uh, so in the context of salvation, the only way to receive salvation is to recognize that you're a sinner, that you're in desperate need of a savior. Uh, and so you turn away from your sin and you turn toward Jesus. That's what metanoia is. So repentance and faith are really two sides of the same coin. Uh, we have God draws us to himself. God does a regenerating work in us. Uh, and we turn from our sins, that's repentance, and we turn to Christ, that's faith. So two sides of the same coin. We believe, and God forgives our sins and grants us eternal life. And so we are saved. Now, our response to this gracious act of the Lord in saving us is obedience, which includes baptism, and also doing the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do, which we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. So I hope we understand by now that baptism does not save us. It doesn't make us Christians. It doesn't contribute anything to our salvation. 
to be saved. We understand we're sinners separated from a holy God, that we're unable to gain God's favor by anything that we do to save ourselves by any of our good works. Uh, God sent Jesus to become a man, to live a perfect life, to take the punishment that we deserve for our sins, and then to die on a cross and rise from the dead uh, so that when we believe, we are saved. So with all that said, you may ask, why am I preaching then a message on the importance of baptism if it doesn't contribute anything to your salvation? Well, I'm preaching it because all believers should be baptized. And now I want to talk about four reasons why all believers should be baptized. And the first one is this, because you want to follow Christ's example. Uh, We've read Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. I want to read it again just so it's fresh. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have the need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me? But uh, but Jesus answered uh, and said to him, Allow it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, and after he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Holy Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him, and behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now, Jesus never sinned, right? So Jesus had nothing to repent of. So his wasn't a baptism of repentance, at least for his own sins, and it wasn't a Christian baptism either, right? Because you and I are baptized into the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and obviously Jesus hadn't died and been raised from the dead at this point in his early ministry in Matthew chapter 3. So when John objected to uh, to baptizing Jesus, Jesus said, uh, let us do this now to fulfill all righteousness. So all righteousness. Uh, Jesus' obedience was, was a step, a step of obedience to God at, be, at the beginning of his ministry. Uh, he had to identify, be baptized to identify with sinners, because if he was going to provide righteousness for sinners, then he had to be baptized to uh, identify with sinners. And so, though he never sinned, he submitted to this baptism of repentance so that he could identify with us. So therefore, we should be baptized to be identified with him. Uh, He identified with our sin uh, by being baptized, taking this baptism of repentance, and we are baptized in him uh, to follow his example and to identify with his righteousness. So his baptism fulfills all righteousness. Uh, We are baptized after a conscious decision to put our faith in Jesus Christ, to voluntarily acknowledge that we are following him, that we are dedicating our lives to him, and we are following the example that he set for us. Now, we can't do this as infants, right? We are not conscious of our sin. We can't make a conscious decision to believe and to be baptized. And so we can only do this as believers who understand what Jesus did on the cross for us and then decide to identify with him. So the first reason to be baptized is that we want to follow Christ's example. The second reason that we want to be baptized is because Christ commanded it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, this is what we call the Great Commission. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Jesus spoke with all authority, right? All authority. He reminded believers of this authority before he gives them the Great Commission, just before he ascended into heaven to be with the Father. You know, oftentimes the last words that somebody says to you are the most important, right? Remember this, and then they depart, right? That's the, the thing, that's the most important. And that's true of Jesus' words, last words to his disciples as well. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the apostles are told, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Go there, uh, go there to the remotest parts, make disciples, baptize them. These are all imperatives. These are commands. These are not suggestions that Jesus was making to his disciples. And so we obey our bosses at work, right? Because they have authority over us. And we obey the police and we obey the government because they have authority over us in civil matters. These are imperfect authoritarians, sinners, and sometimes, most times, perhaps not even believers. And yet we are called to obey them because Romans 10 says, obey the governing authorities for God has established them and they do not bear the sword for nothing. So if we're called to obey civil authorities, ungodly people, how much more should we obey the Lord who has all authority? So none of these commands are optional for believers in Jesus Christ. We're commanded to go, we're commanded to make disciples, and we're commanded to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus directed his apostles, you teach them these commands, you be sure that when they make disciples, that they baptize the people uh, who they make disciples of. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And so we get baptized because we want to obey him. It's not a meaningless ritual, even though it does not contribute to our salvation. It's a voluntary submission that a believer makes before the Lord. It's a profession that we have received his forgiveness and that we want to choose to obey him. And note that Jesus' public ministry began after his baptism and not before. So his obedience to the Father fulfilled all righteousness. It anointed him for public ministry. And so if we don't obey God's commands to be baptized, how are we fit for ministry in his name? How can we say that we're fit for ministry in his name if we start off without even obeying his command to be baptized? And we're all called into ministry. The Great Commission applies to all of us. Uh, so we do it because we want to obey Christ because Christ commanded it. A third reason to be baptized is because we want to publicly commit to being a disciple of Jesus. Notice that Jesus' baptism was public, right? This happened in a public place in the River Jordan. Many there heard and saw his baptism, and it identified him publicly as the anointed one of God. So our baptisms are a witness to others. Uh, they serve that purpose, uh, that we have decided to follow Jesus, to live in obedience to him, to love Jesus Christ, to love his people, to love the Lord. And we're publicly announcing that we are united with Jesus, that we are putting off the old self in all its sin, and we're putting on the new self, wanting to live a life that's worthy of Christ. And, and if we're doing something like that, we would want as many people as possible to see something like that. That's why we would want to do it publicly. 
And so there is no New Testament verse that specifically commands that baptisms be public, but what we find in the New Testament is that many of the baptisms were public. And so baptism is for the benefit of the believer, of course, to obey God, but it's also for the benefit of all who see it, who watch somebody else turn their life over to Christ. Uh, What a testimony that is. Uh, If you came to faith later in life, uh, like I did, uh, just think about what a testimony it is to the people who knew you before you became a Christian, and now they see you up on a stage. You know, they knew you back when, right, in the B.C., before Christ days. Now they see you up on a stage publicly professing your faith, uh, saying that you're going to hand your life over to Christ and, and that you're going to live for him uh, and, and obey his commands, and you want to receive baptism to prove it. I mean, what a witness, what a testimony that is to your family and friends. It's a faith boost for everyone. So we want to uh, publicly commit to being a disciple of Jesus because Jesus was baptized publicly. And finally, the last reason is because Jesus' baptism represents his death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 6, 4, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. So going under the water represents death and burial, right? As Jesus died and he was laid in the tomb, laid inside the earth, uh, so we go under the water to to represent that. It identifies us with Jesus' death and burial. Uh, When we go under the water, we are proclaiming the death of our old life and our old self. That's dead and buried. We're putting that behind us. And as we come up out of the water, now this represents our resurrection as coming out of the tomb represents Jesus' resurrection. So uh, coming up out of the water symbolizes resurrection to new life. We are dead to sin and we're alive to Christ. And that's why we baptize by immersion. So we can symbolize going under the water, uh, coming up out of the water, uh, the same way Christ went into the tomb and came out of the tomb. So we surrender our lives to Jesus and we surrender ourselves to his plans for us. So we uh, do it because we want to be representing Jesus' death and resurrection through water baptism. All right, those are four pretty good reasons, I think, why we all ought to be baptized as believers. Now, when your friend used the Heimlich maneuver to save you, uh, the proper response, of course, is gratitude, but it's not obedience and, you know, full throttle allegiance to that person for the rest of his life, right? Because that person isn't Jesus. But our relationship to Jesus is different. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And so we have an absolute obligation to obey him, to follow him, uh, and obey the commands that he gives us. So uh, one of those commands, of course, is baptism. And every believer should be baptized after they've been saved. Our Our baptism shows that we belong to him, that we want to identify him, and we want the world to know it. So I've been thinking about reasons why you might not want to be baptized. You know, what, what would be the reasons after hearing this? If you haven't been baptized as an adult, what, what objections might you raise? What, what might be some of the things that would prevent you from being baptized? And one of the things I thought of was that maybe you're embarrassed that you've been a believer this long and, you know, here you are and you still haven't been baptized uh, as a believer. And you don't want people to know that, that you, you haven't been baptized because perhaps you should have a while back. Well, That's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing embarrassing about that. Um, I'll tell you myself, I came to be a believer uh, almost, I guess, pretty close to 20 years ago now. And 
the idea of being baptized as a, as a believer never occurred to me. It, it, I just never thought of it. Uh, nobody encouraged me to be baptized. Uh, this thought came to me one day uh, after reading the Bible. I said to Molly, you know, I think, you know, we probably ought to be baptized as believers. It was like a revelation that happened 10 years after my salvation. And this happened uh, after I was reading in Acts chapter 8 about uh, Philippi, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? They're traveling along and, and God says to Philip, run up to that chariot, talk, talk to that guy in there. And, and so Philip runs up to the chariot and he gives the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch and and they come up to some water, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, look, there's some water. Is there any reason why I can't be baptized? And Philip says, if you believe with your whole heart, then you may. You may be baptized. And those were the verses that convicted me. Those were the verses that alerted me. So maybe you haven't been alerted to the fact. Well, here I am alerting you to the fact. If you are a believer and an adult, you ought to be baptized if you haven't already. So my good friend and mentor at Stonebriar, uh, his name is Tony, uh, he baptized me at Stonebriar Community Church on November 10th, 2013. And uh, then I baptized Molly, and then together, Molly and I baptized our kids, Allie and Brian. And that was a very, very special day. Uh, it was a celebration of faith, and as parents, you know, it ranks way up there on the days of, of joy that you'll have as a parent to see your kids publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I was amazed at how many people stayed after church, people who didn't even know us, uh, who just stay after baptisms. That's their thing, because they want to witness the joy of the Lord and the joy of the people who are being baptized. Uh, so I was baptized with a bunch of other people that day, uh, but it was a wonderful day. Uh, so there's no reason to be embarrassed. If you want to be baptized, just tell me you want to be baptized, and, and we'll do it uh, uh, on a day in July. So that's one reason. Maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe you've been holding out to be baptized in some special place, right? Uh, in 2019, I had the pleasure of baptizing several people in the Jordan River, and that was a day I'll never forget. But don't wait to be baptized because of location. You may not ever get to the Jordan River, right? It's not that close. Hard to get there. Uh, but just realize it doesn't matter where you're baptized. The Jordan River is it's definitely cool. I mean, I got to admit, it's really cool to get baptized in the Jordan River. But baptism there is not any more significant than getting baptized at a water trough here in Grace Redeemer or some baptism or in a lake or a pool or wherever you get baptized. It's just a public declaration that you are identifying with the Lord. So don't wait to hold out for a special place. Uh, another reason, maybe you were baptized as a child, as I've already talked about, and you don't see the need to get baptized again. <clears throat> well, I think I've debunked that already, but let's just say a couple more words. Some denominations baptize babies because they think that the baptism washes away the stain of original sin. And they're worried that if the baby should happen to die before the baptism and before the stain of original sin is washed away, well, that kid is going to hell or going to purgatory, which would be a terrifying thing, except that that's not biblical. That's not true. That's not what happens. So baptism does not wash away original sin. And infant baptism isn't believer's baptism. It doesn't signify anything for the baby. It's more of a parent's pledge to raise this child in a godly way. Uh, and the reason why I say this, another reason why I say this, is that there are no examples of infant baptism in the Bible. So it's not the way that it's done in the Bible. So if you were baptized as a child, and I wrestled with this a little bit, should I get baptized again as an adult? And having done this research, I said, yeah, I should definitely get baptized again as an adult believer. 
Well, what about more practical reasons? What about more personal reasons? Maybe you just don't want to get soaking wet in front of a bunch of people, right? Uh, I can understand that. Uh, you can wear whatever you want. You can wear a t-shirt. You can wear a bathing suit. You can wear a robe over the t-shirt and bathing suit. We can get some choir robes. We'll put you in a choir robe and get you under the water, get you back out of the water. We have bathrooms in the back. You can get changed. It's really no big deal. I myself will be in a bathing suit and a t-shirt. So it's very informal. Uh, this is how we do it. So no reason to worry about that. Maybe you're nervous about the process. You know, are you going to be called on to say something that you don't want to say? Am I going to make you say something, give a testimony? I'm not going to make you do any of that. I'm going to ask you to say yes four times. I think you can all handle it. So uh, I'm going to ask you four simple questions before you go under the water. And these are the questions. Let's so you have them in advance. I'm giving you the test. Here we go. Do you acknowledge that you are a sinner, deserving of eternal punishment, and that you can do nothing to earn God's favor by your own efforts? Second question, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God's one and only remedy for your sin and the only provision for your salvation? Third question, do you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Fourth question, do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciple, trusting his promises, obeying his word, honoring his church, and showing his love for the rest of your life? That's it. Assuming you can answer yes to all four of those questions, I or another family member or a friend, it doesn't have to be me, will help you down into the water, under the water, and then back up out of the water again. And that's all there is to it. So there's no reason not to be baptized as a believer if you haven't. And, and if you think that I'm up here doing a hard sell on baptism, I'm not trying to. I don't get a bonus based on number of people that I baptize. Uh, but I want you to be baptized because it's a celebration. It's something that we all ought to do. I've said repeatedly that you're not saved by baptism, but baptism is a biblical command. And as I thought about it in my own life, it bothered me, you know, 10 years later that nobody encouraged me to be baptized, that, 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 that it never crossed my own mind that I ought to be baptized. So I don't want that for you. Uh, baptism is a biblical command, and I feel like for me as the pastor, uh, it's my duty to tell you that you ought to be baptized in case you haven't thought of it. Uh, so I want you to think of baptism not as an obligation, but as a celebration, because that's what it really is. We're going to gather around and we are just going to whoop it up for you. We're going to be so excited for you that you enjoyed this uh, day of baptism. It, it doesn't make you saved from the penalty of your sins. It's, it's a, a testament that you have been saved from the penalty of your sins. We're doing it not because it saves us, but because we want to follow Jesus' example, because Christ commanded it, because we want to publicly profess our faith in him, and because when we're baptized, we identify with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection to new life. Baptism is one of just two ordinances that Jesus gave, right? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, we take the Lord's Supper every single Sunday here at Grace Redeemer Community Church. So why not be baptized once as a true, obedient believer of our Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of anyone who's heard this message today. And Lord, that you would stir those hearts. If there's anyone here who has not been baptized as an adult, uh, that uh, you would just ask them, uh, move them to uh, let me know that they'd like to be baptized, to join Hal uh, on this uh, wonderful day that we're going to have in July, 
and to be baptized, Lord. Uh, there is nothing to be embarrassed about. It's a very simple thing, and it's a celebration, Lord, uh, that uh, anyone who, who goes through it is celebrating the fact that they have been saved from the penalty of their sins and will enjoy eternal life with you and want to live a life pleasing to you, consecrated, dedicated to you for the rest of their lives, Lord. Uh, so uh, just stir the hearts now of the people. And Lord, uh, I pray that if there's anyone who wants to, uh, they'll uh, have the courage to, to let me know and uh, we'll get it done, Lord. Thank you so much for, for what baptism means and for what it doesn't mean, Lord, that your son, by his sacrifice uh, and by faith in him, uh, we are saved, Lord. Thank you for these truths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.